I invite you to open your Bible again now uh, to the book of Acts. We're carrying on our series there. So I want to open up at Acts chapter 21. We're going to start reading at verse 37. Thanks, Ben. uh, Chapter 21, starting in verse 37. We'll be reading through to verse 29 of chapter 22. As Paul was about to be brought to the barracks, he said to the tribune, May I say something to you? And he said, Do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then? who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness. Paul replied, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, Brothers and fathers, hear the defence that now I make before you. And when they heard he was addressing them in Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are in this day. I persecuted, persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, Why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by hand by those who were with me and came into, sorry, came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on his name. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept you, your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, Go, for I will send you to a far away, uh, send you far away to the Gentiles. Up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, 
away with such a fellow from, our, from, from the earth. For if he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing their cloaks and flinging the dust into the air, the tribune ordered them to be brought to the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to, um, sorry, to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they had stretched him out for whips, Paul said to the centurion who was, about, who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came to him and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, Yes. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. Paul said, But I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. And the tribune who was also afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. Thanks, Ben. Uh, really handy to keep your Bible open there. And particularly this morning, we're going to focus uh, on verses 1 to 21 of chapter 22. Uh, so this defense that Paul makes uh, in front of the crowd there on that day. Uh, hopefully you grabbed an outline on your way in. Uh, particularly if you didn't, I want to actually encourage you to grab one on your way out today. Uh, there's something at the bottom that I'm going to talk about that uh, would be good to take home as kind of homework from church. So uh, yeah, if you don't have one, if you want to grab one now, you can do that um, on your way out. Uh, for those who are new here, we are doing a series in the book of Acts at the moment. Uh, we're making our way through this uh, the story of the ongoing work of the Lord Jesus. Um, all he continued to do and say uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit through the witness of his church. And we're in this last section uh, where Paul has just become a prisoner. This is the first of five speeches that he gives in the run-up towards the end of Acts. Now, I actually want to start uh, the sermon this morning with a little bit of an experiment. Um, I know this is a little bit different. Um, certainly not preaching 101 course material, uh, but I'm going to give it a go. Uh, I want to tell you something. I want to tell you a concept um, in two different ways. And I want you, at the end of it, think about which of them was the easiest to understand. Okay? Going to do this. It's like You don't have to vote. It's nothing like that. But I want you to think about what is the easiest to understand. The concept that I'm going to be talking about is six degrees of separation. All right, firstly, from Wikipedia, the world's most trusted news source. Uh, six degrees of separation is the idea that people on average are six or fewer social connections away from each other. As a result, a chain of friend of friend statements can be made to connect any two people in the world in a maximum of six steps. It's also known as the six handshake rule Citation needed. Um, don't take that one for granted then. All right. Uh, the concept was originally set out in 1929, short story by Frigyes Corinthi, where a group of people were playing a game trying to connect any person in the world to themselves by a chain of five others. The idea is sometimes generalized to the average social distance being logarithmic to the size of the population. All right. You got it? Six degrees of separation. All right. Let me tell you. It's another way. I'm going to tell you a story. True story. Uh, once upon a time, about 20 years ago, uh, Tracy and I were in a campground 
in Slovenia, all right, middle of Europe. Um, it was kind of weird that we should be there because the campground was actually closed, closed for winter. But the people who ran it said that we could stay there. And interestingly, they'd said that a lot of different people could stay there because the campground was pretty much full. And as we sat there uh, that night, we sat around a fire. And there were people from all over the world uh, staying in this closed campground. And I was sitting near a girl who came from New Zealand. And she started to tell this story about her sister, uh, who was an extraordinary athlete. And as she was talking, I thought, I've heard this story before. Maybe it's one of those urban legends that people tell. But this, she was telling it about her sister. And then I remembered, I remember a guy, let's call him Jim, I can't remember what his name was, but let's call him Jim, telling me the same story about his sister. And so I said to her, I said, I've heard this story before. This guy called Jim told me. And she said, Jim's my brother. And so it turns out that they told the same story about their sisters, their sister. Now, that is one degree of separation. Uh, she knew somebody that I knew. Now, if you expand that out again and again, the idea of six degrees of separation is that you tell enough stories with enough people about enough people and you will find a connection with so everybody in the world. All right, same concept. Which of those two are you more likely to remember? Which one are you more likely to repeat? Now, for a few of us, it might be the first one. You weirdos. But anyway... For a few of us, that might be the case. But I reckon it wouldn't be too many. For many of us, it's the second. Now, why is that? It's because we're wired to listen to and to tell stories. Stories capture the imagination. They, they draw us in. Uh, they help us think more about what's going on. Now, that's, that's not to say that factual information is not helpful or, or useful or necessary. It is. I mean, try to answer your maths equation with a story and, you know, see what kind of mark you get. Sometimes you just need to know the facts. But stories can help us retain information more easily. They're more memorable and they help us pass them on. Now, I don't know if you remember all the way back, for, for those who were around last year, all the way back, when we looked at Acts 13, we had a look at Paul's evangelistic strategy, and we had a look at an evangelistic strategy for ourselves. You remember, remember things like uh, making friends with people, of course, and then having our friends become their friends, and then that, that, that idea of coffee, dinner, gospel as a way of going deeper with people. And the last part of that was telling the gospel as a story, as our story. Now today we actually come to a part of Acts where Paul does that on a very big scale. Uh, he is telling uh, the gospel story as his story. Now in modern language, we would call what Paul does here in chapter 22 is giving a testimony. Uh, he's retelling the story of his conversion, which we first read all the way back in Acts chapter 9. And he's telling this as a way of defending himself 
and defending the faith, defending the gospel of the Lord Jesus. So today what I want us to do is actually to think about how we might use testimony as a way of evangelism, as a way of sharing the gospel with people. And when I say testimony, I don't mean necessarily getting up in front of a crowd of people and going through what the Lord has done in your life. That can be useful. That can be wonderfully encouraging. But how we might use in conversation and opportunities that God gives us, the opportunity to talk about the work of the Lord Jesus through what he has done in our lives. I'm going to focus then on what we see Paul doing here. And I want to highlight three things that he does. Uh, three things which I think are really important for us to learn from. And the first one, and this is really, this is really essential. Uh, and in fact, if you take nothing else away from today except this one thing, um, I can sleep easy tonight, all right? I can't always sleep easy on Sunday night, but if you take away just one thing today, I'll, I'll be able to do that. And that is this. Paul is ultimately not telling his own story, but he's telling God's story. A testimony, whether it's Paul's, whether it's our mind, whether it's anybody's, is ultimately the story of what God has done in the Lord Jesus. Now, I want to take you back to last week and remember where we're up to in the book of Acts. Remember last week, Paul was in the temple finishing off his purification, and there the crowd jumped on him, literally, and dragged him out. And they made two accusations against him. The first one was that he spoke against uh, the people, the law, and the temple. And the second one was that he had brought a Gentile into the temple and so desecrating it. Now, the first one was like a twisting of the truth, and the second one was just an outright lie. Now, as they were beating, up, beating him up, uh, the Roman uh, garrison sort of released and came to his rescue, but actually ended up arresting him. And at this point, they're dragging him uh, off to the cells where Paul speaks to the tribune, the guy in charge, and he says, look, can I have an opportunity to address the crowd? Now, when he does that, the, the, the tribune is kind of amazed because he assumed that Paul was like this Egyptian uh, rebel who'd kind of done something weird in the past. And he's like, hang on, but you're speaking like perfect Greek. You can't be that guy. Realizes that Paul is actually a very educated guy uh, from a very prominent city. And so, still incredibly, he gives him an opportunity to address this crowd, uh, which was just about to kill him. Now, what is Paul going to do here? Uh, is he going to mount a defense against the charges that have been brought against him? Is he going to call them to task for what they've accused him of? Is he going to say, well, if you say that I've brought this Gentile into the temple, where is he? You know, can somebody actually say that they saw him there? Now, this is on his mind, obviously. And he is, in a sense, defending himself. But primarily, uh, he sees this as an opportunity to talk about the gospel, to talk about the Lord Jesus, to tell about God's work in his life. And notice, as we go through it, we're going to look at some of it, notice how he does this. Uh, he is at pains to say that this is God's work in him and not his own. 
Think, think about the picture that he paints of himself. Look, if you just want to have a look, verses 3 to 5, uh, this picture that he paints of himself, someone who's zealous for God, um, but yet was persecuting the way. He was locking people up and putting them in prison. That, that's what he was doing on his own. Then in verse 6, he says, I was on my way and drew near to Damascus about noon. A great light from heaven suddenly shone all around me. He says, I was going to do this, but God intervened in my life. Uh, I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Then if you jump down to verse 14 and 15, this is Ananias speaking to him. Look what he says. And he said, the Lord, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. This is God's working. And then again in verse 18, uh, he's gone back to Jerusalem. He's praying in the temple and saw, he said, and saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly. Notice the emphasis here. This is what God has done in my life. Now, out of the testimonies that I've uh, heard, listened to uh, in my life, I think there are two traps um, that we can easily fall into. Uh, trap number one is that we very easily uh, glorify our life before Christ. Uh, so you know how you kind of hear those testimonies? We sort of just talk about all of the bad things that a person did uh, before they came to know Jesus, and it just can go on and on and on, and almost you kind of feel like there's a glint in the eye sometimes. It can sort of glorify the life before Christ. The second danger uh, is to glorify all of the things that we did uh, to become a believer. So we talk about, oh, then I realized that I needed to get my life together, or I started reading the Bible, or I started going to church, or, or I did that. Now, the purpose, though, of sharing a testimony is not to glorify a life before Christ or to glorify what we did. It's to glorify what the Lord Jesus has done. Now, sometimes this is going to involve uh, telling about the ways that we messed up. And we're going to look at that in a moment. Um, it might talk about the, what, the things that God used in our lives to, to bring us to faith, like reading, his, reading the Bible with somebody else or, or going along to a conference. But first and foremost, it's to talk about the work of the Lord Jesus. Look at what verse 15 says. Uh, when God uh, says to him through Ananias what Paul is going to do, he says, For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. Notice that. You're going to be a witness not of what you've done, uh, but what you have seen and heard the Lord Jesus do. The only reason Paul can be a witness uh, is because the Lord has acted in his life. Uh, the only reason any one of us has something good to share, a story to share, uh, is because the Lord has acted graciously in our lives. Lord God, who, who forgave our sin and who washed us clean, uh, who called us and, and made us a part of his family, uh, he acted, uh, we now bear witness. We speak of the things that we have seen and we have heard. All right, let's move on. That's the first thing we want to notice, that it's a, a story that's ultimately God's story. Second thing I want to notice about what Paul does here um, is that Paul... Uh, tells a good story. Uh, Paul tells a good story. 
Now, when I say good, uh, I don't just mean good because it speaks about God and it speaks about the work of the Lord Jesus. Um, Paul actually tells a good tale, a good story that people will want to listen to. Now, I'm going to get a little bit technical here for a moment, and I hope that I have your permission to do that. No one says no? I'll take that as a yes. Over the years, uh, people have studied uh, what makes for good storytelling. And one of the places that they go to consider what makes a good story is they go back to Greek drama, uh, Greek plays, Greek tragedies. And in studying these Greek tragedies, they have discovered that they almost always follow the same pattern. They are pretty much always five-act dramas, and each act has the same basic theme. Let me go through it. Act one is an introduction, which introduces the main character of the story. I'm looking at Andrea, and she's nodding because she teaches this stuff at school. Okay, Yeah, yeah, this is the plan. Act one okay, introduces the main character and introduces the mission of the character. Okay, Act two is called the rising action, which shows all of the things that the character does to fulfill their mission uh, of themselves. Act three is the climax. It's the point at which it all turns. Something changes for the main character of, this, of the play. Uh, act three, act four, sorry, is called the falling, what was it called? It's in there in your thing. Uh, falling action. That's the one. It's on your outline. Uh, falling action. Uh, where the character uh, has his mission realigned because of the climax. And then Act 5 is the conclusion, which shows the character in a new way of living. So there's five-act drama. Now, just a little aside, which is kind of interesting. Uh, why is Star Wars such... I saw the t-shirt on the way in. Why is Star Wars such a great story? You know, 40 years on, it's still a ripping story. The, the graphics are awful. You know, there's holes big enough in it to drive a Death Star through, but it's still very popular. Why is that? Well, George Lucas admitted that he followed tales of Greek mythology to the letter to write Star Wars because it is a good way of telling stories. Now, what's Paul done here? We're going to go through it. He tells a five-act drama. Act one, he introduces himself, verses three to four. I am a Jew born in Tarsus and Cilicia and brought up in the city, educated. So he gives his credentials, who he is as the main character. And he talks about what his goal in life is at the end of verse 4 there. Uh, being zealous for God as all of you are to this day. Who is he? He's Paul and his goal in life, his mission is to be zealous for God. All right, rising drama. What happens next? This is how he lived that out. Verses 4 and 5. I persecuted uh, this way to the death. He talks about all the things that he did to pursue being zealous for God and actually led him to this road in Damascus where he was trying to execute or put into prison followers of Jesus. What's the climax of the story? Well, it's there in verse 6. As I was getting near to Damascus, 
uh, on my way and drew near to Damascus. At noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. What's the climax? God acts powerfully in his life. And he, he changes Paul and he, he changes him for the good. Uh, falling drama uh, about how God now has reshaped his life. It's the story of Ananias coming to him and setting him on a new path and telling him he's now going to be a witness to the things that he has heard and seen. And the conclusion, uh, he now gives a, a new part of the story, how he lives in line with what God has called him to do. He talks about being in Jerusalem and how he was praying and how God came to him and told him to flee the city and, and to go to the Gentiles. Now this is, it maybe sounds a little bit technical, uh, but it is a good way to tell the story. So when we think about it, when we think about how we can share our testimony with others, um, we want to think about how we tell that as a good story. Let me, let me tell you my own version in, in kind of a, a brief way. Uh, I was brought up in a Christian family like, like many of you were. Uh, and so I grew up going to church, uh, going to church twice on a Sunday, uh, reading the Bible around the dinner table. And as a kid growing up, uh, I felt a lot of pressure to be good and, and to do the right things, like a lot of kids uh, who grow up in church circles. And every time I read the Bible, uh, I was really concerned that I was doing uh, the things that it told me to do. Now, I grew up being taught the gospel, but what I took away from it was I had to live a really good life. The trouble was, every time I read the Bible, uh, I didn't just read about the things that I should be doing, I felt guilty. I felt really guilty. Then I was about 17 or 18, uh, I was on a, a Christian camp, and every morning as part of that, uh, we had to read the Bible for ourselves, and I was reading from uh, 1 Corinthians, uh, the passage which talks about love. You, you know the one, love is patient, love is kind, uh, all, all of those things. And all of a sudden, God made it make sense to me. Because uh, as I was reading it, I just felt guilty again that I wasn't as loving as I could be. And then it's like God made it make sense. Um, it's right, I wasn't. Um, but actually, I didn't need to be. Um, because he sent one who was, uh, who loved perfectly, and who loved in my place, uh, and who suffered and died so that my lack of love uh, would be forgiven and I would belong to God. Now, it changed a lot of things about my life, but one of the things that changed was it, it changed the way that I read the Bible. Uh, so when I read the Bible, uh, my first goal was not just to read about all the things that I should or shouldn't be doing. Uh, my first goal was to read about the God who loved me uh, and the God who had saved me. Uh, the God who had rescued me uh, in his son, and how I could live then um, out of thankfulness to him. Now, not long, took two minutes, two, two and a half minutes, uh, but hopefully it kind of, you could follow the kind of steps of the story. Now, this is why you need an outline. At the outline that you've got, uh, which I have here somewhere, I had here somewhere, ah, on the outline that you have, no, that's not the one, that's the one there. On the outline you've got, at the bottom, you will notice there are no questions this week. Um, and that's not because I was lazy and couldn't be bothered thinking of some. Not the primary reason, uh, at least. Uh, there, at the bottom of that, is the outline which I've just talked about. 
And what I want to encourage you to do is actually take some time this week uh, to write a testimony uh, along that outline and that format. Now, maybe if you're a growth group that is following along with the sermons, uh, you could all do this before growth group this week or next week, and then you could spend the night sharing them with each other as a way of kind of learning, uh, kind of practicing, and encouraging each other. Because how encouraging is it to hear, you know, eight, ten stories about the way that God works uh, in someone's life? All right, final thing I want to notice here, and we'll just we'll, we'll do this one rather quickly. Uh, it's God's story. It's a good story. Uh, third thing I want to notice about what Paul does here is that it is a targeted story. Now, we have the benefit in the book of Acts of reading about Paul's conversion three different times. Uh, when it happened in Acts 9, um, here when he tells his testimony uh, in Acts 22, and then again when he'll give his testimony in Acts 26. And Acts 22 and 26 are in slightly different contexts. And it's interesting to see the way that Paul, and Luke as he writes this, adapts the story of the conversion depending on the audience that he is speaking to. Now, they're not playing hard and fast with the truth. They are just emphasizing different aspects for different audiences. So notice before, when I tell the, a little Peter of my testimony, that's the way I can tell it to people who've grown up in churches. Uh, because there's parts of that that people who've grown up in churches will relate to more readily. Now, Paul does that here. Uh, Paul, notice how he speak, how Luke makes a big deal of the fact that Paul is speaking Hebrew. And the kind of commentators say that this is not classical Hebrew, this is like everyday Aramaic uh, sort of Hebrew, so that everyone would understand it. Notice how Luke says that twice. He spoke in Hebrew, and then they listened to him attentively because he was speaking their language. They could hear what he was saying, and they were interested. Notice the way that he um, addresses them as brothers and fathers. It, it's respectful. Notice the way that he tells the story of, of who he was and what he was like and in a way that they would have looked up to and said, yeah, that's a great guy and we, we feel the same as you. Um, the way that he talks about the Lord Jesus. Um, he talks about in his conversion, he, he emphasizes um, light, uh, how light happened at his conversion. A light shone and he went into darkness. Um, and then he, it became light again because he's relating this to the role of Israel, of being light, but yet ultimately living in darkness. Um, he calls Jesus the righteous one, uh, which is an Old Testament reference to the promised Messiah. And so the whole way along, he is telling his story in a targeted way for the people that he is speaking to. He's using the language that they know, and he's telling it in a way that they will relate to. So when we're talking about sharing God's work in our lives, talking about our testimonies, uh, using the five acts, uh, we want to be thinking about who we are speaking to and how we tell it in a way that relates to them uh, as good as we possibly can. If you want to write this, uh, maybe think about, if you're a parent, uh, think about how you would say this to your kids how would you give your testimony to your kids? And then think about, well, how would you give it to a workmate? 
Uh, or how would you give it to uh, a group of young people? Or if you're at uni, how you would talk this about people at uni? Because it will shape uh, the way that we tell the story. Now, I do want to give a little caveat there. Um, there is no guarantees <laughs> uh, for how well it's going to go and how well you tell the story. I mean, if Paul's uh, example here is anything to go by, um, he tells it and they raw, you know, raise up and they want to put him to death and um, they have to lock him in prison really for his own safety sake. Uh, there's no guarantees um, how it's going to go. But who knows uh, who heard that story that day? Uh, it will be a story that they at least remembered. Uh, a story that they could relate to. Uh, and a story that the Lord God, in his grace and in his mercy, might use uh, to bring someone uh, towards faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the hope, isn't it, as we tell this. It's not about us. It's about seeing other people know the grace and the goodness of the Lord Jesus, uh, who shines his light into our lives uh, with the truth of the gospel. Let's pray to him now, shall we? Uh, Lord God, we thank you that we have a story to tell, um, your story, uh, the story of your work in our lives. Uh, thank you for the grace and the favor that's been poured out to us uh, in Christ. And Lord, we want that to be uh, at the center of what, all that we say and all that we do. We want that good news to be the thing that shapes us and encourages us and motivates us uh, to living for you. Uh, Lord God, we pray that you would give us um, the ability to think through how we might use our testimony um, to encourage others to speak of the Lord Jesus um, and to encourage others to put their faith in him. Uh, we pray, Lord God, that you would give us opportunities um, to practice it, but also opportunities to share it uh, with others. And Lord God, we pray ultimately that you would be uh, the one at work through this uh, for your sake, uh, bringing people to faith in Christ. And we ask this for Jesus, in Jesus' name. Amen.